Score, the podcast. The only show taking you inside the studios of the world's most celebrated composers and musicians. Welcome to Score, the podcast. I'm Kenny Holmes. With me is Matt Schrader. Hello. What is up, Matt? Uh, Very excited about today's episode. Um, We had this composer on at the very beginning of our More Score uh, fan series, which April um, we're gonna, 2021. Yeah, we're going to make that episode public. So if you want to go yep. back and listen to uh, our guest today, Carlos Rafael Rivera, his backstory. He's an incredible talent, uh, super nice guy. He's got two new shows out right now, Monsieur Spade on AMC, which are rolling episodes, and then Griselda on Netflix, which you can binge now. And uh, the soundtracks are out as well on all the streaming platforms. Really, really great music, and uh, he's going to be joining us from Miami, the the probably the only high-level working composer in Hollywood that resides in Miami, I think, um, which mm-hmm. is pretty interesting. Uh, so we're going to talk to Carlos in just a bit, and uh, Robert's going to join us for that interview as well, so we're excited to talk with him. Um, but he's Matt, so cool. I remember him that... talking about that uh, going to see Score uh, in, in theaters when he was in uh, yeah. 2017. Oh, I'm going to make that clip also i'll make sure that that is out on our youtube channel so you can see because he shot a video of uh of him walking to the theater (laughs) to see a movie about film composers and he said like i was already a film composer at that point so it wasn't like necessarily you know wow someday i'll be i'll be you know It, it wasn't inspirational that way but he said like there was weird obstacles there was like a protest and like a cop had to guide him through stuff in order to get to the theater. It became like a little adventure. So he should have uh, scored it. Oh, he still could. He Maybe probably will send could. him the clip. Yeah. But yeah, he went to the. <laughs> oops, just dropped something. He went the to quad. the Quad Cinema, which uh, is a place we went and did some of the screenings. We did a Q and A with Bear McCreary there. Really cool little indie theater. In uh, was that like Greenwich Village or something like that? Mm-hmm. No, oh, where was that? I yeah, I think you're right. What? What part of been. the city? Um, but yeah, really cool. It was awesome for us to hear that this mega star talent is excited to go watch the doc. Um, and he shot a video of it, so that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, speaking of mega star talents, the Oscar nominations came out this week. Yeah. And uh, it's a big time of year. There's some drama, man. This this Barbie stuff is there is drama. Yeah, I mean, like, the two big movies of the year came out the same weekend, so everyone is is familiar with Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, It seems like Oppenheimer is just cleaning up so far in a lot of the awards. Uh, Yeah. Nolan for director, Oppenheimer for best film, Ludwig, obviously, for the score, um, has been winning all kinds of stuff. Uh, Killian Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the craft stuff. Um, So... I think this is clearly Oppenheimer's year for a lot of this, but I don't know. Like, there's some other cool stuff that that is just it's that Oscar thing again, right? Where a lot of these movies are not even accessible to the rest of the world yet. Um, so people are seeing like, you know, Anatomy of a Fall. What is where? Where can I see that? And it's for most people, it's some little theater, you know, far somewhere out of town that plays these types of movies. It's not like a big wide release. Um, but the 10 movies that are finalists for best picture american fiction and fair you know we haven't seen most of these probably uh, american fiction anatomy of a fall barbie the holdovers um alexander payne movie uh killers of the flower moon that's martin scorsese maestro which we talked about bradley cooper oppenheimer christopher nolan past lives uh poor things which has gotten a little bit of momentum and the zone of interest are the uh, finalists so you know my money's on Oppenheimer for a lot of this I think yeah. I I my heart is also with Oppenheimer because I think that's the best uh best film of the year um and then for score um American fiction which I have not seen yet uh then of course John Williams the greatest of all time uh for this latest Indiana Jones film which was not the greatest Indiana Jones film of all time um Killers of the Flower Moon, Robbie Robertson, uh, Ludwig, obviously, for Oppenheimer again, and uh, Poor Things, uh, Jerskin Fendricks. 
That's the only name that I'm not entirely confident on how to pronounce. So my apologies <laughs> if he listens or if any anyone on his team listens. Uh, come on I, here and talk I to us, up. Jerskin. Yeah, come talk to us, please. We we'll, would we'll love be happy to. Uh, <laughs> for you to tell us how to say it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, super and, interesting. Whoa! <gasps> I I just I'm so glad I looked at that at my text. Robert, I you're joining us it. live in the intro of the Carlos <laughs> Rafael Rivera episode. So We're funny. going through I just the Oscar at my text nominations. And I'm walking out of the room. Uh, so sorry. Please continue. We uh, we're again. going through the uh, the the Oscar nominations. Um, we went through best picture and best score, and then song. Um, best song. We have Diane Warren again. Uh, Kenny, do you have those in front of you? Yeah, the fire it's inside. Four, is this her fourteenth? Fifteenth. 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 And by God the way, for you. those who are keeping count, she hasn't won for best song, but she was given the honorary Oscar. So she is now an Oscar nominated or Oscar winning. Uh, and we need talent. to work hard to bring. She wants some company for that Oscar. Yes, she doesn't want that Oscar to be alone. But she's got some stiff competition, which Diane would appreciate. All the possible puns in that she's got. <laughs> of course, you want to go through. Kenny's well, I mean, the there would be something of kind of fun about if she finally won for the oh, Hot Cheetos be... movie. <laughs> yeah, it's so perfect, flaming hot. Yeah. Uh, so you have Diane Warren. Uh, I'm just Ken, which is the the song for Barbie with, by Mark Ronson and Andrew Wyatt, who they're beasts in the music world. Uh, mm -hmm. True. It never went away from American Symphony. Uh, a really sad and sweet song. I, I loved the movie, American Symphony, and the song is very touching, and uh, I'm so glad it got nominated. I don't know if it goes all the way, but it's worthy of a nomination. Well, John Batiste, man, he really just stormed onto the scene once. Sure did. He, at one point, he was an artist, and he was uh, he's Colbert's band leader, right? Yes, and um, I think he's not right now. The reason I hesitated, I think he's taking a break from that. Yeah, he was. He was. But, yeah, he won for Soul, and he's just on a tear, mm -hmm. and he just puts out great music. A lot of great pop songs recently, too. Um, what? Forgive me on this one, because this is hard to say. It's but... the song from Killers of the Flower. Can you yes. pronounce it for us, Robert? I'm sorry? Can you pronounce I, it I for us? I wouldn't think of... <laughs> It looks it. like Wazhazi. Oh, that's pretty song, good. A song for my people, uh, music and lyric by Scott George. And then the last one is What Was I Made For from Barbie, and that's Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell and their brother and sister, obviously, and they won the Golden Globe for this. So that's they're be the, the front runners, but you never know. Yeah, um, I I'm, I'm think they are the front runners. I'm chagrined that another song didn't make it which I really loved, which is the song from Spider-Verse called Am I Dreaming, which was Metro Boomin and a couple other collaborators. I really thought that would be in there. Just so you can fill me in. Uh, Honestly, that score was phenomenal, too. I'm that surprised. Unbelievable. Maybe the Academy didn't want to do this, but the Dua Lipa song, Dance the Night, also from Barbie, Big was hit. great. Yep. And personally, I feel like that was probably one of the better movies. Those songs guys in the music branch. I mean, oh wait, that's <laughs> me. Um, can you tell me just for our, my own edification, so I don't have to go back and actually listen to this intro? Um, who did you pick? <laughs> did you handicap a best? Score? We actually we haven't. haven't. No, you Let's you got it. here just in time for that. Um, Good. I mean, my I think Oppenheimer sweeps uh, the, the score and best film and probably director and a bunch of other things. Um, first song, man. I, I, how do you, how do you go against, you know, the momentum that Billie Eilish and Phineas have now at this point? So that's that would be my guess. I think you're correct on both. And um, hearing Oppenheimer live, as I was very right, yeah, because he did. Do, uh huh. Um, I was once again reminded that is a masterpiece. That mm -hmm. score is a, a movie is a masterpiece and the score is a masterpiece. What is it? Because a lot of the reaction at the start, it sounds different than you would imagine a score for a basically a, an epic biopic uh, sounding. 
there's a lot going on. What is it that stands out to you as being something hmm. that just kind good, of transcends? Good question. I'd say there are two things that were the takeaway for me. One is I wasn't aware until I saw it live that the orchestra almost never stops. Mm. It is, there's a, you know, it's a feeling we used to talk about of having somebody's hand at the at your back the whole time, pushing the narrative, pushing you forward. There's a kind of rhythmic tension, harmonic tension that's, you really feel that as the story develops, and it's kind of amazing how much music is in. I mean, what is it, a three-hour movie, 248 or something? I, I don't know what it is, but if it's 200 minutes of music... Feels like it's know, easily it, two hours. Yeah, yeah, easily. So that was amazing, how much music there is. It's also the... Kind of aesthetically, it is as pristine a combination of synth and orchestra. An interesting. How did they do that at a live performance? I asked. I asked the. I asked Peter Rotter, who who contracted it. Uh It's pre-records. There were pre-records. I mean, there was great conductor Anthony Parther, and with a click and the. Orchestra has a click, and the strings are there under the screen. But you start hearing, of course, a lot of synthetic texture and bottom, and it's a pre-record is being played for the audience. Um, so he didn't conduct, he, he but did he was there. Conduct. Correct. In fact, it was introduced by Chris Nolan and Killian Murphy and Ludwig on stage, and the audience was just enraptured from yeah, Christopher Nolan cool. coming out to talk about Ludwig and the music, you're like, man, you can't, you couldn't buy a ticket for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just extraordinary. It's crazy um, to I see think... Ludwig's trajectory because I, I remember when Tenet got announced, it was like, oh, Hans isn't doing a Christopher Nolan movie. Maybe some, maybe he's just overbooked. And now it just feels like Ludwig is now Christopher Nolan's composer. And it's kind of interesting, it's, but and but think, all the things, all the accolades, all of the just high level stuff that he's been doing in the last few years. It's I love seeing it because he's such a humble guy, and he's so. I've been to a couple of these. You know, I was at the Globes and the uh, People's Cho- or the Critics Choice Awards, and he almost looks frazzled. He's so not into like all of this glitz and glam. He looks a little bit uncomfortable getting all of this recognition. Um, so it's it, it's a little it bit really like well sweet deserved. to see. It is so well-deserved. He's so talented. And I learned something at the show, which is you would think after having done this for a few minutes, I would know this, but I didn't. Ludwig recorded the score with, and I should have, in retrospect, I can now look at the orchestra in my memory and think, that's interesting. I now see. Usually when you conduct an orchestra, Conductor has his back to the audience, of course, and the conductor looks to his left, and that's the string section. Yeah. And behind them are the second violins, first violin, second violin. When he looks to his right, he sees cellos and double basses. And then the orchestra has different, you know, winds over here and brass over here and the way you map out a classical European What we're all kind of used to, yeah. Right. Ludwig had the strings spread out in front with divided in half so that violins, first violins, were on either side of the conductor. And when you listen to the score, it's they play against each other. Daga, 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 daga. I mean, I can't obviously do it justice. But he wanted to have left and right separation. He wanted to have the strings. I thought, okay, so not only is the music genius, the synth, orchestra combo genius the propelling nature of the score genius but he's actually taking care of how it's recorded and performed mm-hmm. so we are at a level i would say it's kind of perfect for oppenheimer because there are guys breaking through yep what was conventionally understood in physics or something whatever he did i don't know that stuff i'm not really good with like neutrons 
but um, <laughs> yeah. he, Ludwig kind of did it musically, and yep. and in some ways, Chris Nolan did it cinematically because there are moments of in the edit that are not naturalistic; they're evocative. Mm-hmm. Looking up at the stars and inside the atom. So I loved that movie when I saw it, but after you know the experience of being in the room with it, that is a. And I I just have to say the fact that you went and saw that. um, Thanks for the invite, Robert. We really appreciate that. (laughs) It's very kind of you. You know, Ludwig said, um, Robert, I'd love you to be there. Can you? Is there a way? Don't invite those guys. Me avoid (laughs) Matt and Kenny because, like, we have this ongoing beef. Me, Matt, and um, Ludwig. It's yeah. We'll get into that. That's another episode. I'm, it was I'm, a very I'm only kidding. generous. I'm jealous that you went, though. I hope he does a little me, tour of that. I I don't even want to get into who was in the audience because boy, it was Hollywood. Every oh now know, he's cool. now he's just bragging. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> really god! Cool. You know it's funny. And Margot Robbie sitting next to me was just you know she she can be really. I leaned over to Steven Spielberg and said, oh, "Hey, well, he get a load of this side. guy." And both of them like, "What are you doing later?" And can we spend some time? I'm like, man, just could you the life of the chill? craft. You know? Yeah. It's a um, craft. All right. Miss? Looking forward to the Oscars. Uh, it'll be fun. Um, I may be there. I haven't found out yet, but it um, should be fun. Well, You'll you, give us the inside You, you have my uh, phone number, so when you need a plus one, dude. Matt, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, but stick around. We have a great guest today. Again, uh, two-time Emmy-winning and Grammy-winning composer Carlos Rafael Rivera. He's got two great new shows out. We're going to dive in. Stick around. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So here we are. Uh, We're excited to welcome back Grammy and two-time Emmy-winning composer of The Queen's Gambit, Lessons in Chemistry, Hacks, Godless, A Walk Among the Tombstones, La Reina del Sur, Season 3. And he's got two brand new shows out now, Monsieur, Spade, and Griselda. Also a great friend of the show. Welcome back, Carlos Rafael Rivera. What's up, Carlos? Dude, I'm just I'm clapping for you guys because you guys are awesome. So thank you. You're having a moment right now. It's one of those things again where it's multiple shows happening at the same time, um, Mm. which is like all of all of your work is kind of coming out. So I'm sure you're I don't know. I guess that's maybe nerve wracking a little bit, but also probably a huge relief to see things finally coming out. Yeah, it's it's really weird because I think there's like a, a perception that that I'm busy now. But I, I was not busy for quite a few months, and there was I was busy like close to a year ago or six months ago where it was a lot of these things were happening at the same time. But I think people, when, when they see these news, they're like, oh, this person doesn't stop working, or is like, how does that? The truth is like, it's just timings are always kind of unique, and, and there was a bit of overlap, but there was a lot of continuity, except that there was a break, and a choice of when to release it happened to be now, so. I need you to straighten something out for me. I've been confused about this. Mm -hmm. First of all, it's nice to meet you. Very, you have no idea, man. I'm a big, big fan from from the work you've done in the past. And I'm hoping because I've listened to so much of your work and your interviews. I have one question about what you just said. Are you saying that in the entertainment business you get busy and then sometimes you don't get busy, (laughs) and then you get really busy? I get confused about that because I thought maybe that was just me where. It gets really quiet, and then suddenly 
it all happens at once. I just, maybe you guys can shed some light on that. I thought this rhythm that is unpredictable and emotionally disruptive, does that happen to other people? Other people? What are you even talking about, <laughs> sir? I have no idea. I fail to recognize the question. Clearly hasn't caught up with my silliness. <laughs> Carlos, first of all, you are um, my hero for the reason that in your last podcast with Score the Podcast, you quoted, I've got a cookie for you. I got and a cookie I'm for listening you. I got a cookie for you. I got it. <laughs> That's the best story of all time. my man. favorite composer of all time because he knows that epic story. Patrick Doyle. It's yeah, not only the epic them. story, it's the it's the universal application of that story to all of us in desperation and how Patrick Doyle came up with the solution sheerly out of you have no way out and he found a way through and, and that's the most that. inspiring side of it. You know? You're right. It's the kind of also it it evokes the moment in any artist's it it actually covers a lot of things I'd never even thought of that. You mentioned very specifically in the last conversation the difference between art and craft craft spelled with a c and um patrick actually is applying the night before he has to record this cue and doesn't have an idea the craft of composing which is i'm i i need to figure out what to write about and they're recording tomorrow or I have to present it tomorrow and he sees the scene and he has that rhythm I've got a cookie for you I've got a cookie for you and that inspires him and it's really in some ways also talks about the difference between a recording artist who has all the time in the world to make a record and a composer like yourself who has a deadline yeah that's where the craft comes in uh, thing and and craft comes in. I make it sound like the craft comes in. Like no, I mean it. Like <laughs> the fact, the experience comes in that you just you're not thinking. If you if we had to sit down and ponder artistically about ourselves, nothing would get written and it'd be <laughs> so idiotic and pointless. And and you really do have a deadline and you're working. And the more you do it, the better you get at delivering on time and getting and just realizing that you're just serving the story and and just you're a service and we're a service industry. And the art, art, the word artist is something I've always, and I think I've talked to you guys about this before. Is just like I do think the word artist is a big boulder to bear. And I think it, I especially tell the students that I have at the Frost School is like, man, just stop calling yourself an artist. Just get good at this, and just you know, don't worry because then you put so much in your own way of trying to just get the thing done. Just do the thing. But once we have that onus on us, we start to kind of have to fill a kind of ideation of what we're supposed to behave like even and how we're supposed to be as people you know it, we because we're all so insecure about what we do anyway that it adds this other layer that's kind of pointless i do think craft is what bears the art i, I don't think it's the reverse you know? i love that and i think that it's the students of course i mean one of the questions i i have trouble answering because it's so inane in some ways or uninformed how do i so mr craft i want to be a film composer how do i express myself artistically in my scores and i think um you're painting their house dude i mean you know I, yes sir. I, I don't know if expressing yourself artistically is the top of the director's list you're expressing his vision artistically that's a, that is the absolute fact. You're not. It's these not. are the kind of therapy sessions we get with Robert when we <laughs> connect. I mean, we just we dive deep. Anytime we have a problem, sometimes. Robert says, "Dude, you're painting their house." <laughs> no matter what the problem, we is, go. Oh, that's that's right. the answer. Right. <laughs> or the other thing I say is, you know what? I've got a cookie for you. I got. <laughs> and that's true. Yeah. Carlos, everyone. last time we talked to you. Uh, it was a pretty crazy time, and I want to pull up these numbers really quick because I was blown away by this. Mm. But uh, The Queen's Gambit had come out. This was like the weirdest time in er everyone's lives. Yeah. Uh, and now the list is showing that The Queen's Gambit is number five watched series all time on Netflix. At the time, it was number one. But listen to this. 112 billion views in the first 
91 days on Netflix. Yeah. I, I'm yeah, just curious how, how, like, when you hear that number, I don't <laughs> even know, <laughs> that, that doesn't even add up to me in my head. Like, how is that even possible? But when you hear that kind of number and how influential your music was on that series, what, what goes through your mind? It, what, what goes through my mind really quick is, is is how many times I had conversations while I was working on it uh, where people were like, hey, what are you working on? And I'm like, oh, I'm working on this story about chess. They're like, ooh, cool, man. <laughs> you know, and, I was, and I was like, you know, and you have that thing when you say you're doing something, they're like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, what else do you do? How's, how's your wife? And, whatever. <laughs> what else and then it, and it's sort of like. Honestly, the feeling I did have was that, you know, and I think I, I talked about it last time, was like that Scott was telling a good story. I know he had really amazing people uh, helping and making, they were doing good by the chess community. And I really did think it was going to be like the one story chess community would, would abide by. I was like, you know, and if the music had any traction, it would be, it would be among the chess community and there'd be a video or two where people would be like, da, 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 whatever the theme crap is, and then do that, you know? And... And that, sorry, I got, I just got uh, a little weird. <laughs> the other meeting on Zoom just logged on, and I just logged off. So sorry. Said about you're that. fired. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what they came on. He's double booked. And, See how his life. No, has no. They so said, much. It said no so cookies for Carlos. Doing two Zooms at once. Carlos <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, lucky. guys. No, no, not at all, not at all. But uh, but no, the truth, the, the the short of it is that it really nobody expected it, and so. It's really as as mind blowing to me as it really is to you. There was no like, oh, I think I I just never. You never actually do know. Like no matter how much even support, and you probably know this crap from from the experience you've had is like, it is like even how much the the studios behind it. You don't know what's gonna work, right? Oh, it's so true. You see, often I mean we all know this. You work on movies, you think, well, this is just a a filler for uh, you know late summer and then it blows up and you also work on huge pictures that everyone is behind and they don't arrive in the marketplace but they're over by sunday it's, you're literally having a funeral carlos you know i um i mean that that's what they were called you'd go into the big building at the movie studio where people are having a wake for a movie that didn't work and That's right. all the marketing guys and the creatives and everybody like, well, that's 180 million down the drain. What's next? Um, oh, that Napoleon Dynamite. That's silly. Well, we'll do it. It doesn't cost very much. Kaboom. You know, yeah. so you, you just don't know. Carlos, I read recently, and I think it's so timely to have this conversation with you. I hope you saw it maybe two or three weeks ago in the new yorker an incredible profile of scott frank yes i, I, read I was amazed scott frank of course the writer director of queen's gambit and monsieur spade and also your uh, guitar student um yeah. which i learned from listening to the podcast but it was really fabulous i recommend it to all listeners to read it simply because it's the saga of a writer who blows up in Hollywood and maybe by accident on purpose um, it was curious for me because I heard his name in so many meetings I didn't know who he was but at 20th Century Fox he was the go-to ghost writer I don't know what you call it repair guy he was um, a fixer, yeah. No, you, you called him a ghostwriter, yeah. He was a, a he would, you know, X Files or X Men or you know Deadpool or whatever it was is in trouble. Call Scott Frank, get him in here, and let him punch it up. But to think, after reading that and knowing that you've worked with him, that's really flattering for a composer to have somebody of that writing caliber say, "You're my guy." And listening to your music, it's like. Of course, but he didn't say, I have to get one of those, you know, round up the usual suspects. I th I think it's amazing, and maybe you can talk a little bit about, you've, you've mentioned it before, but just how Scott had faith in you and relied on you, and what, what did that come from? Because it's a stretch in some ways to get a big Netflix series and say, this is my guy. 
Yeah, I think I think there's so much to be said about it. I mean, I wouldn't be getting to meet you guys. Um, I think I sent a, a video to you about the show that when I went to see the movie, when, when yes. the score movie came out, I filmed myself because for me, just, you know, I filmed myself, I was in New York for something, and I filmed myself walking through this, and there was this parade, and it was a hard thing. I was, it was having difficult to get to the to, the, to watch the film, and that that's how big a fan I am of this anyway. And so I am speaking always as a fan first. And to have someone exactly that's been my perspective, that, that Scott is a, a true loyalist, I think. He really is one of those people that, um, he was the one who hired me for, for A Walk Among the Tombstones, the first gig. N nobody hired me after that, and that movie didn't do very, you know, well enough, you know, but he got to do a project for Netflix for, called Godless, and he hired me again. I didn't understand why. And then I won, like, awards, and nobody hired me still and because I had, like, two credits. And you know it's the perspective, right? You're seeing it as IMDb. There's, like, this guy has, like, literally two credits. We can't trust him. And the one thing I've learned over the years now is that you don't get hired because of any other reason than it's insurance for the project. It's like you're, you're hiring a composer who's going to make sure – that we don't have to worry about it. Music's going to be fine. Let's worry about the casting. Let's worry whatever other issues, as you know. And but it it when you're coming up, you're always thinking, oh, they must have hired. There's the main reason is insurance. And the lo the longer you do it, and the and the longer you get to do this, you start hoping to fall more into the insurance category than hmm. anything else. You know it. And That's but perfect. regarding yeah, but regarding Scott, honestly, man, I just can't say enough of how much he really really championed me and supported me and i remember for even uh, uh the first movie a walk among the tombstones he was um he would show my demos to to stacy share who was one of the producers and and he would say look he always said if if they don't like it it's not going to happen don't he was always brutally honest with me and that to me is something you don't see very often in this industry you know people are always promising they're always like oh you it's going to be great Oh, we'll call you money. Oh. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So he was the opposite of that. So I, I think I was very fortunate to uh, uh, be part of his life and, and the fact that he's changed mine. And he's blown up. I mean, he went from being the kind of fixer yeah. to now clearly go-to writer-director. And in some ways, you're also living the dream of a composer to align yourself with... Uh, a creative that just says, uh, if I'm doing this, I do it with. Um, and mm -hmm. I love what you said about, I mean, as a in a studio, it's what's called plausible deniability. If you hire Alan Silvestri, they can't come after you and say the music stinks because you got, well, it's not for me. You hired Alan or you hired James Horner or James Newton Howard. It's the plaus. You want that. And it prevents directors, producers, and studio executives from going out on a limb because you don't want to... Why'd you hire that guy? Exactly. So Scott, on that level, gets just total props. I, I got to tell you, I mean, so our audience knows that by the time this is in the marketplace, this podcast, Griselda, will be out. Mm -hmm. And I actually had the thought when I was listening to the score that we were sent. Super cool, by the way. I yeah. hope the show is as good as the music. <laughs> oh, no. I say that with all due respect <laughs> to the filmmakers, because the music shows your chops in a way that's like, this is first-class composing, orchestrating, arranging. It's a graduate school lesson in beautiful music, and man, I hope the show is good. It, can we talk about also so the sh that show was set in Miami I think in the yeah. late seventies is when it is uh, begins at least I'm not sure what exactly the course of the story will take us um, are you still based in Miami have you been working out of Miami on all of these where we left off I think hacks was just coming out you know yeah. when we last spoke so you've been through I think now if there's a season three probably that you're done with or pretty close um, that'll be coming out soon. Um, you obviously have had uh, lessons in chemistry, which we didn't mention, but like these are some 
you, you have been very busy, as you mentioned. Has all this been in Miami? How much travel are you doing? I'm in Miami. I mean, I've been in Miami since 2010, since before any of this, since before the first movie came out. And it was, I think COVID really kind of helped uh, the perception that I could stay in Miami. Once mm. and, and Gambit came out during COVID and previous to that, I would go on meetings that my agent, Amos Newman and Bradley Rainey, who's still my agent now, would send me out on. And so I'd fly to LA for like two days and I just like, I have back to back meetings and yeah. And dress, you know, and shower and stuff and whatever. And I go to the meetings and and they would usually ask, so, so are you based in L.A.? I'm like, no, I'm based in Miami. They're like, ooh, you know, there's a little bit of that, you know, you're not Always. here. And um, but, you know, once COVID happened and we all had to uh, adapt to Zoom. And, you know, I thought Skype would take over, but I guess Zoom took over. And we had to it, it kind of normalized the fact that I'm here and haven't had to move back, even though I lived in L.A. for a long time. I mean, I, I love it. And I, I was just there like a week ago. And it was it's just like, oh, I love the city because there's so much culture and landscape, mountains. And and Miami's very flat, but I like it. You know, my family's here and, and that's where, where what, what matters at the end of the day. So. Have you had well, any has there been any kind of push or pull of, hey, Carlos, why don't you come out here and work out here for six months or why don't you come, you know, that, that kind of a thing. Not at all, man. Wow. And I think people are really convenient. I mean, post-production is a weird one too, because you're sort of like, just ha as long as you're making the meetings and you're making the deadlines, I don't think they really care. You know, I don't think it's ever a thing that matters ultimately, as long as they're getting what they need in a format, they need it. And it's lining up, you know, even the mixes now uh, for like the mixed days, you know, a lot of times composers aren't, you know, usually welcome, you know, and that's mm -hmm. fine. But uh, but like uh, the music editor will be there and they'll they're doing it online. They're showing up online. They're all they're, yeah, the technology's arrived for a while now and people are just using that and it makes it easier. I do think it just it speeds up the process in many ways, you know, kind of interesting. You kind of skated literally around a, the historic, the historic moment that preceded the pandemic, which was composers, I used to say, you know, they come in from Australia or they come in from Corsica or from Durango, Colorado to be an L.A. composer, and you'd say, man, just get a 310 area code number. Just yes. have that so that when they call, you can say, well, I'm in Colorado for the week, you know, where I live with my family, man, I... Mark Mancina moved out. He just, and, but it'd be like, but I could be there tomorrow, I think. Uh, and you'd never want to say that you were out of L.A. Because they want to know, can you come in? Because you had to come in and look at the edit and have the yep. meeting. That's fantastic that you're doing it and you're online. No emergency. You got to be in L.A. tomorrow. Hasn't happened yet. You got to sit with everybody uh, Say that. So no, lucky. no, <laughs> no emergency yeah, yet, please. I, I just mean, knocked on the wood. Patrick Doyle, the Patrick yeah. Doyle, I've got a cookie for you, was predicated on the fact that the director said, I got to talk to the composer or we got to move on. And I called Patrick and said, you're getting on a plane to L.A., dude. He was yeah. in, at Shepparton where he worked in London. And so that all. Well, perhaps. Perhaps the re one of the reasons why you were such a perfect fit for Griselda is your yeah. Central American roots with music, and also you live in Miami. I mean, how how did you connect with that project? Was there a Miami connection there? Hmm. Man, well, honestly, what the way this came about was a Tori Filet from Netflix, I think, recommended me to Eric Newman. And Eric Newman called me, which is awesome. And then he asked me, you know, hey, if you want to do this. And I I know Eric because of his father. I've known his dad has been a mentor and friend for years. And, I, you know, it's a blessing at all to even say that out loud without feeling like I'm lying. Uh, mm -hmm. And then his son was my agent, so his brother was the, the, the producer. And when I met Eric was many years ago, and I, and I went to Amos Newman, and I said uh, – Hey man, I hate to say this, but I think your brother's the dapper one, you know? And he goes, "No, nah, man, he's the rich one." Oh. I thought it was like one of the greatest <laughs> lines ever. 
And uh, but the, but he called me for the project, and then based on the fact that I, I was living in Miami, I think, in, and I grew up in Latin America, you know, helped a lot. And Spanish-speaking production, bilingual, really. And mm. Andy Bice, we started having conversations really early on. And before I wrote anything, we were really talking about stuff. And because the story of Griselda takes place in um, Miami in the 70s and 80s, you know, the first thing you think is, well, Scarface, and you're thinking, you know, previous, you know, synthesizer scores, you know, Georgia Marauder stuff. Are we going to go there? And he sent me a playlist of music that was similar. And then we kept talking. I hadn't written anything. And then he, he goes, I have another idea. We could maybe do classical. And mm. that's when that's when the idea of opera came about. And he sent me a playlist. And I thought, ah, what if, like, Griselda, because there's moments where she's, giving speeches to inspire people. What if her voice is like an aria? What if her dialogue Something is like an aria? Please oh. try again. Oh my God, Siri's activating. We have technology today, Listening folks. in. Did you see that? <laughs> I don't know what I did, but I'm trying to shut this thing off. Sophia Vergara. Uh, yes, he kicked in. <laughs> She's like, what are you talking about arias? No, but the thing is, the, the, the short of it is that once we started thinking about it that way, you know, the idea of accompanying an aria, a vocalist with a harpsichord, like in the classical era, operatically, I was like, oh, dude, that would be so cool. And so mm-hmm. so Andy sent me uh, uh, the opening scene, and he goes, you know, this doesn't need music, but I just want you to get a scene, a, a scent. I don't think it needs music. But then I put music on it, and it's that opening thing. When we see the blood in her hand, I, I was like, I just said, what the hell? Let's just go. Let's pretend it's like an overture to an opera or something. You know, where it's just really establishing the vibe. And then the silence really helped. So that was sort of like, I sent it back to him and he liked it. Mm-hmm. Had he not liked it, we wouldn't be talking about this. <laughs> Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's always their approval. But it was a very, very exciting thing. Because once he said, I love it, we just, it just went. And it was always cra- a lot of risks musically. To what you're seeing, the picture, it's almost like, is it too over the top or is it belong? And we kind of defaulted on belonging That's which is where i can't wait to see it yeah i hope you i hope you enjoy it i mean i i really that that's the i, I i've well, been I'm talking to people about so regardless this. i'm gonna call you up and say dude that was <laughs> just i got a cookie for you <laughs> i got a cookie for you i got a cookie. no man i'm serious like it was it was can't really wait. a big risk and we're, we're we're excited about how it turns out because again at the end of the day look the truth is those kind of they're cues that do that, but most of the job is always to support the story and and for the audience to generally say I love that movie. They're not supposed to say oh I love the score, I love the VFX. Those are always like extra things that that's not why we're doing what we do. We're just trying to make sure people walk out going, dude, this was oh my god, that story's so badass. That's the job. And if they talk yeah. about the music, it's always kind of like a weird ego thing. You are but it's not why we do it. You're the director's favorite composer to understand that. That is, you know, your job is not to wave a flag saying I'm here. Yes. And yeah. It's, it's like crazy. When I first, when I first saw the title and who was in it, I didn't know what it was about, and I thought, oh, this is going to be like some comedy. This this should be fun. Yeah, of course. And then I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh shit, this looks yes. sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what Tomorrow. did you get a chance to meet? Sophia during this process and and what do you make of I mean she looks incredible in this role and I'm 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 floored because I was like she's a a drug boss I don't know about this but then I saw the trailer and I'm like I'm in yeah yeah she sells it she she's really actually great in it and I think uh the the good thing about this is that everybody was making sure she was a supported you know uh editorially directorially all the allies you can imagine and she really took a risk i mean the, the whole thing the whole project is kind of a risky one but i mm-hmm. really felt like you know I, I i i can't wait for the world to see her and i also can't wait for the world to see a lot of the cast that's there there's one of these characters mm-hmm. called Revi that every time i got a scene with him i was like yes because he, he eats the scenery he's this, he's got this really there's something about him and he kind of develops along with her character um that that actor is going to be hopefully very busy. I felt I kept feeling like those very exciting moments in a lot of Latin American cast that is virtually unknown in a sense in the states that are going to be paid attention to. I hope you know, um, but yeah, no, I I did, below the liners, man. We don't meet anybody. We're always like 
you know, in post-production, we're post. So we're never hanging with those with those folks. Only in the and last night we happened to have a premiere in Miami for the Ooh. show. So it was like I got to meet all the cast and I found out yeah. on everybody. And even Griselda uh, or Sofia Vergara for a minute, she even said, oh, my God, the music. I was like, baby, did you pay attention? She just said the music. You know, so I was like <laughs> fanning out. And uh, and so I was there with my wife and it was really I mean, it, Miami, not, you know, all the premieres happened in New York, L.A. And, and last night, the premiere in Miami was something that was like a dream come true, man. And as a fan, you know, always a fan first. You're, you're getting to see actors, you get a little nervous. And I'm sure even, Robert, when, with what you were doing before, when you see someone who you've, you know, you, there's this feeling of, oh my God, always. right? No always. matter what. And, uh, and there are a couple that you feel embarrassed to get next to them and say, oh, I love your work. Because yeah. It's not silly, but you want to say to some <laughs> actor or somebody, nice. um, and you do remind me, and we can, I can tell you more stories about it certainly afterwards, but um, Sofia Vergara is actually not a, she's a good singer. And, and that's know. not known because I did a movie in Miami called Chasing Poppy. <laughs> they, they had a, you know, that funeral I mentioned? Yes. Um, yes. They had one of those. Um, I don't think they waited till Sunday. I think Friday at about two in the afternoon after it opened, they said, but the young ladies in the film have to sing a little bit. And Emilio Estefan was the... I know of the movie. Came in, right? You know the movie. Dude, it was so a Miami it. production. If you live in Miami, it, it everybody knows Chasing Poppy. Oh, that's so funny because we came <laughs> down to Carl like. Gables and we used Emilio's studio and I hung out yes. with him and we had all these incredibly beautiful women come through to sing. And Sophia was really good. Yes. And I've always wondered why, you know. Yeah. Next she, time she, you work with her, get her to sing. She's very good. I would, I would be a privilege, but you know, when he, uh, Randy Barlow uh, is like a faculty at the Frost School where I teach in the, in the media scoring program, and uh, and he worked on Chasing Poppy as well with Emilio yes. Stefan, who was working on it because he worked out of that studio. So yes. I I know the story of Chasing Poppy from a totally different angle, but Chasing Poppy is Miami's movie, man. It's you know can't take that away. I don't care the numbers. I don't care the box office. Oh, that's so great! You're, you're, <laughs> I knew somebody out there saw it, and it turns out to yeah. be you. Yeah, man. Um, <laughs> uh, let's yeah. let's pivot a little bit because we sure. talked about Scott Frank and you have this other show that's out a couple episodes out and they're they're rolling out with AMC called yes. Monsieur Spade, starring Clive Owen. Um, tell us about just jumping on board with that show. I thought it's interesting that you have two shows coming out. One profiles a hero and one profiles kind of like a villain character. Um, mm. Do you? Does that affect how you start your process? No, I, I think I think with Scott with this one, he was really um, he was really just kind of trying to find. It's always about you know the, the conversations like the tone of the story or the tone of the movie. But really for Scott, it's character, character, character. It's always about how do we kind of make, bring out the characters in the story, and not necessarily because we have a theme that plays when the character appears. But I'm saying like, what is the character about? Like, what's kind of cooking inside and 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 sort of, and the idea and the essence for this was how do you do a noir or a continuation of a noir icon that is Sam Spade's character, mm. and and bring him into today, and I think and I I still you know think the flugelhorn or the trumpet you know those kind of things are iconic because I grew up with that and I couldn't help it you know you go back to the Maltese Falcon but then you go to Chinatown of course and then L.A. Confidential and you know those that noir genre even. What's the one that that John Williams did? This is one of the classic ones um, mm. that I think he's playing. Oh my gosh, I forgot the character's name, but it's uh, I, I can't. I'm 53, so I'm forgetting every name now. <laughs> but uh, it's a really good actor. It's an early 70s film, and and the idea of the music, if anything, is that it's a monothematic score. But what is really cool about it is that it plays. If he's in the supermarket, you're hearing the theme, but as supermarket music. If he goes oh, into wow. the into a bar, you know the piano's playing that same theme, same idea of Laura, you know the score for Laura. Yeah, but for this one, is John Williams? I I don't even know if he was credited as Johnny Williams when he did it. Could have been. But um, I'm gonna have to look it up and, and tell you later. But that one, I was trying to see if we could pull off a monothematic score. We kind of have one theme that does play and repeat itself throughout. 
Um, but again, conversations about this nerdy level only happen here and with music people and, and film students and all that. With Scott, he, he's just, do, do I like it or not? And I usually don't like to tell him, well, I was thinking, he's like, I love it or I hate it. And, and oh, because it, he's busy. You, know? <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it with that sensibility. I mean, it's interesting. You mentioned Chinatown and there's a moment of, oh, what a great homage right here to mm. that kind of character. I was interested. I saw episode one okay. of Monsieur Spade. Right. I don't know if they let you spot it the way that you would have seen it. It felt like there could be an opportunity for more musical scenes, and yet it was, in, at least in episode one, Yeah, it felt like the, it was, I don't know if, you know, listen yeah. to filmmakers doing what he's want, either underspotted or, hey, you've got Carlos, man, let him wail. Um, but it was, I was surprised that there wasn't more music, and I don't know if you felt that way or if that's the great secret of the show. No, I, I, actually, I actually think that one, I did notice that this was edited, this is a French production as well, a French co-production. So the process of post was different than it's the usual that it usually happens with Scott. And in a sense for me, one of the things there was like a cue that really helps establish character where he's kind of driving up to the church and that had gotten in edit in editing towards the end got removed. So mm. I think the work that I had to do was was important. I really do like the idea you mentioned it, the underscoring, meaning not underscoring but less scoring. I think plays well into this kind of story. It's okay. more sparse and it's only there if it matters. But I do think that what happens is that sometimes an episode, ep the first episodes, I think for all shows, have a lot of work that is always done on them. I remember in Queen's Gambit, mm. it was two hours long and then it got cut down to an hour and a lot goes. And I'll give you a quick example of something that happened to finish this thought is that because it was two hours long, I had cues that were, you know, a minute and a half. And all of a sudden, when they cut it down, those cues had gotten Frankensteined and cut together and they were 15 seconds or 20 seconds. And then, and then when we saw that, this was on the first run, Scott told me, <laughs> he, he said it in a different way, but the next day, because I, I started watching that version and my stomach was turning. Like I was going, what had happened? Because I didn't, you know, know it had been chopped up like that. And, you know, he, sa he says to me the next day, he goes, Carlos, you're screwed. You know, I go, yep, yep, because I have to kind of really <laughs> rethink of the, the thing that makes stories and, and I think score matter is the length of time it's in the scene. I think if you're going to, because our job is really transitional. Our job is sort of like end scene, get us to the other place and where music ends, dialogue starts. That's our job. But if you can avoid doing comedy in the sense of like Seinfeld, bam, 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 you know, and then we off, then then why is the score there? It, does it need to be there? That was the goal we were going for, and in this one, there, there still were edits afterwards where I think things got cut or, cut shorter. Mm. But I like you said, do I want the whale thing, Carlos? I don't think it's never. I feel like that's not even the conversation that the story that they want to have. They don't even care. They just like, is the movie working? Is the story working? Yeah. And, and you know, so it's a long answer. I'm not even sure if I answered anything. But. Oh, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, he, the answer could have been, yeah, they, I wrote twice as much and they took half of it out, but uh, it serves the picture. <laughs> yeah, I, should, I should call you to filter. You should be my <laughs> editor. If you could just edit the crap out of me. <laughs> right. uh, no, that oh, was wow. great. And I'm, yeah. listen, I'm, I'm still kind of tripping on the fact that you know chasing poppy so i'm i'm good <laughs> <Gentlemen>. <laughs> carlos how has your process changed since queen's gambit do you have a, a team are you yeah. working small what what's your what's your setup nowadays is well, it your preference was, maybe too if, yeah if i was terribly insecure i'd be saying i don't i don't what is a team but the truth is like i don't think Especially, it started in Godless, really. Um, I did a walk among the tombstones, and I worked with Tom Kramer, who's a great music editor. I called him mm -hmm. my, my diaper changer in the show. And then uh, <laughs> as Godless came on, and the schedule, you know, it's very long episodes. It was like seven episodes. 
Somewhere in the middle, I started freaking out, and I called Tim Davies, who's a friend of mine from USC, who does a lot of film stuff, and a conductor, orchestrator, amazing musician, and, and composer even, on some Guillermo del Toro projects. And um, I said, man, I've, I know that this whole team thing exists. How does this work? Because I'm probably going to get fired because I need to do like four minutes a day, and they, blah, 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 and the schedule got really crazy. So he recommended a guy called David Stahl then, and David Stahl really helped me you know, just I would send him, a, you know, the sketch. He, I had already written a lot of the story. And then he, uh, I was able to have dinner with my wife. And I said, baby, baby I, I'm sending this so we can eat at the table because I was having dinner right here at the, here at the desk. She would just give me food I'd, and keep going. I had dinner over there. And then like 45 minutes later, I got a text from David saying, hey, version one is up. And I was like, what does this mean? And then he had actually put orchestration, you know, with the with, with the keyboard, you know, like library, sample library stuff. He had done this stuff, and I was like, oh, my God, this, this really does work. So the idea of having a team was born in my world. And it's very – nobody teaches mm. this because it's almost like this weird Beethovenian world where you kind of are just everything, and that's not the truth. I think almost every area in, in post-production has a department, and there's a department head. And um, so for the mm. for that was David Stahl. Then when Queen's Gambit came in, I was working with David, but he was only able to work with me part time. So I needed help. I called Tim again. He asked. He got me Asuka Ito, who was uh, great as well. She came into the process. The truth is, is that like for the first month, I wasn't so sure. And then because we were going a lot of back and forth. And then she worked on this one cue orchestration-wise. I was like, I needed to do this. I needed to do this here. I have to work on this. I'll get. And she sent it back to me. And I was like, oh, my God, there's hope for Frodo. <laughs> and then so I realized also there's just different learning curves on, on how the process is. But being a teacher really has helped me in this kind of thing because my goal is to help them have the experience. They're helping me. But at the same time, they get the hell out of here, you know, and they do their own thing. And so David now is a co-composer on Hacks with me. So on season two and three, Great. he's been co-composing. And hopefully he'll become composer of something and won't take my calls, you know. That's the goal. <laughs> and then yeah. that's what a team really is. They kind of help you make these things. And But usually the hunting for the first, you know, few episodes or how, however it is to, that I have to work directly with everybody to make sure that the palette and the tone and the music and the instrumentation and all those things are set. And then we start kind of laying the carpet, as they say, you know, once we're kind of off. And that's when they really can start. They start helping later on in the process. And the last one, the, the team is really one more person, Ray Kim, who's been with me for the last year and a half now. And, and, but that's it. And I, and I love it. It's been one of those uh, things that I had to learn as we go, how to delegate, how to manage things. And how to deliver, help deliver on time. And there are things that like people like Ray are doing now, even though he's much more talented than that. But a lot of the things that he's been doing now is like the queue gets approved. Okay, he sets up and prepares the stems to be outputted, makes sure everything is reaching everyone the way it needs to. So it's a lot of grunt work, if you will. But that's mm -hmm. the process. And then so, but he's been working on a few cues. And one thing I do do with the team is like if they work on a queue, I give them cue sheet. So if you go on Spotify, you'll see like, you know, Carlos Rivera and Asuka Ito and David Stahl or Ask Carlos Rivera and Ray Kim, because I do think it's important to to kind of acknowledge their work. It, and it's important to 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 talk about the process as it is, as opposed to, you know, when they say, how do you work on two or three projects at, at the same time? I've seen people say, well, I don't know. I just, uh, you know, I, dude, you have like seven people you know what I mean, working yeah, right. with it. And the truth is, like, let's just call it for what it is, because it's a job at the end of the day. And you want to yeah. do well by it, you know, anyway. What a treat that must be for your students, too, to get all of this firsthand experiences totally. and information. Do they sign NDAs? Like, how open are you <laughs> with your students on a daily basis? I, my team doesn't have NDAs. Like, the, the David Stoss, maybe I shouldn't be saying I just, I don't believe it. I think this is, I don't know. Why? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's like be a sure. level of trust you have to. And if I get burned, I'll get burned. You know, but at the same time, I don't, I can't, I came into this later too. So it's not like if I was 20, I'd probably be like all insecure and like, oh, I don't know, it's just like, you know, but I really, man, it, it's a, it's a tough business as it is. There's a shelf life to what we do. 
There may be in five years I'm not doing any work. I understand that. I, I, I came into it knowing it. I, you know, and so sure. I always imagine like the shelf life thing. It's either you're going like this or you're like this. This is weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, Depends for a shelf on the day. Life. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. And so, <laughs> so it's like whatever importance and self-importance you start to feel by these things. First of all, I have a wife who keeps me in check every day, and that's a great thing. And then second of all, it's like, you, you, you know, you're older, so you, I've been on the flip side of that. And I've seen, you know, I've been seen through in so many meetings, you know, where I'm trying to talk to someone and hoping for an opportunity. And, and they're not quite looking at you. They're looking for the actual more important person in the room they could be talking to. I, 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 we've Hollywood. all been through that. that yeah. So, so I do well, tell I, my students regret, a lot about that. I regret that something that was supposed to happen actually this weekend, that's what's so odd. I looked at my schedule. Mm. I was invited by a student at Frost, Miami, to come uh -huh. do sort of an evening, like they have a club or a extracurricular speaking thing. Oh, really? Thing. And the um, SEI, I didn't maybe? realize it was, it might have been. And, you um, can tell me yeah, later, I, like whatever. Yeah, I didn't realize that uh, your connection to it and it just didn't work out. Uh, yeah. But next time, man, I'm so interested in the combination of working artists and teaching. I think there yeah. is very, it actually defies that age-old maxim. You know, those who do work, those who can't teach, you know. Yes. So it's like, wait, you have somebody who's doing it and teaching? Fabulous, man. Matt, Kenny... Did we cover all the bases? I'm excited. I mean, about we could Griselda. we could go for six hours yeah, with we Carlos, sure could. but um, we're we're just we're just <laughs> stoked about your new releases. Always great music and just such a cool guy. We love. You were superstitious you. last time when we asked what's next for you. Uh, I don't know if you have anything uh, anything to share on that front, or if that's. I mean, that superstition maybe paid off because you've had quite a last couple years. Yeah, but I think I always what what it, what the superstition is to talk about a project you're working on when it's early on in the project because you can get replaced, you know. And even last year there was a, something I got, you know, I I did and I, I just we I had to walk away because we were just not chemically there, and that's fine. That mm -hmm. that's what happens. And yeah, uh, and I've learned that it's chemistry more than it is the what you're doing. It's just like is can we communicate because. It's super hard to do in the first place. And it's, it's almost lucky that I've been able to work on so many projects without having that sort of thing. But it, it also is a testament that I've been working. So the, that superstition is about trying to, trying to avoid talking about something and then they, what happened to blah. I had a very bad experience, man. This is why, bro. And I'll say it really yeah. quick. I had a bad experience with Emilio Stefan, and I don't mean it like I love the guy. But I had a bad experience that was a life lesson for me. I was like 24, and we were in Miami, and I was working on an album that the producer, amazing producer, grew, grew to become one of the great Latin American producers. His name is Sebastian Chris. has won I don't know how many Grammys, and I'm serious, it's kind of a stupid amount. But at the time, he was moonlighting, and he was working on our album, and I was a guitarist. We're working at from 12 to 6 in the morning at... Crescent Moon Studios at Emilio Stefan Studio. Yep. And I'm in the kitchen and I'm pr practicing classical guitar because I was a student in classical, whatever. Hmm. And Emilio Stefan hears me playing and he walks by, you know, and, I, and, and, and then whatever. And, and, and he calls me into the studio and I go, oh my God, Emilio Stefan's talking to me. I mean, dude, this is like 1990 something. They're like the biggest thing on the planet. Gloria is like, everything's like great. And I walk into the studio. And then he goes, listen, man, I have, I'm, I'm going to do the accent a little bit. I'm working on a song for my wife, and uh, we, have a, we need a guitar. If you can try to do it, that would be great, you know, and you play great, man, so go in the studio. And I walk in the room, and, I, and they put headphones on me, and there's like this microphone thing, and, and I heard myself breathing. I was like, <gasps> like it was so overwhelming. And they go, play, play, and then I played something, and I walked out. They gave me like a check for 200 bucks or something. I forget how much mm. back then. It was like, bro, I got like, I'm set for a month. And then <laughs> I, the thing is, I started, I went out and I, w with my friends, I was like, dude, I'm on the next Gloria record. I play guitar on this record. They're like, dude, it's going to be great. My life is set. 
Thumper's going to show up. Bambi's going to cross the street. It's going to be beautiful, mm -hmm. like everything. And then the record comes out, and I'm not on it. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's and then I, and, and they're like, dude, what? <laughs> exactly. But it's the first <laughs> time it happened to me. Yeah. And so people are like, hey, what, what, what happened to that thing you did? You know, the, the Gloria record. I like, well, I don't know. I, they, uh, you know, and yeah. that. And yeah. that was the biggest lesson, and Perfect. that's what I mean. So you know, uh, that's all. Such that, a and good so that, lesson. Yeah, it fed that into is this. Such answer. a great lesson. It's yeah. Just don't talk about it until it's in the marketplace. It's so important. God, we yeah. had a composer on here who was scoring a huge film, and we talked about it. And afterwards, I talked to him, and I'm, I love him, and he's a great composer. Yeah. He called me and said. I didn't say, uh, but I think it's just, I think I'm getting fired. And he was right. He did. Yeah. He got replaced and he knew it. But we, hey, what was it like to work on this? And how is it being this? And you're in a credible line of people that have scored the earlier blah, blah, blah. series in the franchise. We drilled deep with him. And then he said to me, I don't think I'm going to survive the cut. And he was yeah. right. He didn't. And, Dude. That's life. It's like back in the day, you don't post that you had a girlfriend on <laughs> Facebook or MySpace, and then two weeks later, you have to remove it, and everyone goes, "What happened? I thought you had a girlfriend." Thought you were right. Right. That's like that's just a don't life post, lesson. Just don't put it on there in the first that's place. A MySpace <laughs> life lesson. That's our got a cookie for you. That's right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 to finish off, I'm more careless about it now in a sense that I'm not. I'm less careful about it, but at the yeah. same time, I know because I know anything can happen, and I'd rather not talk about. Had it yep. had life not happened at me the way it has, I would have probably been. It's oh, you so won't smart. believe, but I, I think Between it's, it's a waste By of time. By the way, I'm here to announce that Carlos is doing the next Star Wars, and uh, I just thought he he's too he's too modest to say it. No, we don't know what you're doing next. We're excited for it. I'm excited for Griselda, which is coming out to see it for all kinds it's of out. reasons. I think it's. The, Tomorrow. Well, as of this when this episode out. is out. Yes. Oh, yeah, as of it's now. Out. Yeah. So much. As We're I was talking about the day say, before. It is out. It's amazing. It's amazing. I love <laughs> wow. it. And uh, I just wish Sophia said. Binge it. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Carlos. By the way, thank, thank you, you so uh, Carlos. Thank you. Probably the coolest vinyl oh, three dimensional look here. I'm. Um, it's almost too scary to open. I've opened it, but I don't want to fold <laughs> it. No, um, I know it's weird. The Queen's Gambit vinyl with Mondo that you did, beautiful. Fabulous. Um, so that, that, that is a privilege, man. That that and the fact that you guys paid attention to the music at all. And honestly, I, I am always. I always do feel like how lucky. And and really, it's the first time I speak to you, Robert. And you know, I've been a fan from afar for a while. And and of course, of you guys and Kenny, it's great to see you. And I see your posts occasionally of what you're doing, man, brother. Man, it's really nice to nice to see you guys again. And if any, if, any happy to talk anytime. Obviously, I talk too much. I love that. I'm sure we'll have <laughs> no, a lot of opportunities going forward. Yeah, we'll we'll be calling. Yep. Thanks, Carlos. Carlos Rafael Rivera, thank you so much for joining us on East Coast Time, man. Have a good Have one, a guys. great night. Have a better one. <laughs> Bye. It's probably like nighttime almost for you now. No, nah, not quite. Uh, it's lunchtime, that's for sure. Nice. There you go. All well, right, congratulations guys. on the new shows. Thanks for joining us again. And uh, this has been Score the Podcast. Make sure to follow us on all the social platforms at Score the Podcast on X, Score Movie on Instagram, Score a Film Music Documentary on Facebook. And we're also on YouTube. These videos uh, are posted as full episodes, so uh, find us on YouTube, Epic Left Media. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next time. See ya.